in the passage, the, the Philistine, that's Goliath, and uh, the young David. So chapter 17, verses 38 and following, listen for the word of God. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, bronze helmet on his head, and David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked at David over and saw that he was just a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised David. And he said to David, Am I a dog? You come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his own gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you flesh to the birds in the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies, the host of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass to the Philistine army, to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spirit that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, assist us in our hearing so that what we hear and how we apply it may give you honor and help us grow in truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The enemy is everywhere. And you know the enemy. The enemy has the same goal always. He comes looking differently, but the goal of the enemy is always the same. The enemy wants you to be afraid. The enemy wants you to live defeated. The enemy wants you to hide. We know the enemy, and he comes in different forms, but his goal is always the same, to make us live afraid, to make us live defeated. And the, the enemy comes disguised differently, but the one reality about the enemy is that he's very uncreative, very unoriginal. And so if you want to find a kind of caricature of the enemy, then think of Goliath. Goliath is big, and he shouts things, and he threatens all kinds of things, and he has things in his hand that he wants to throw at you, so that thinking that if he throws something at you, you won't be able to handle it, and maybe you won't be able to handle it on your own. So the enemy is big and threatening and has a history of success, wants you to live afraid, and we all have 
some manner of enemy in our life. Now, I want to think about this passage, and I want to think of it, first of all, by setting the, uh, the narrative itself so that we're clear on, on what's going on. So in the narrative, the, the setting that we have in 1 Samuel is that on the one side of the valley, on the mountain, the valley here, we have the Philistines, the valley where the battle is eventually to take place, and on the other mountain, uh, we have the army of Israel. Now, the Philistine army is superior in every way, except spiritually. They are, the Philistines themselves are much more prosperous than Israel. Israel is still settling the land. The Philistine army is much more fierce, have been much more successful. Technologically, they're advanced. In fact, the Philistines have entered the Iron Age. Israel has not. So technologically and in terms of weaponry, the Philistines are far in advance of anything that Israel has. And so it looks like the odds are insurmountable. How can we defeat the Philistines? How can we get past this giant? Who's going to move the stone away from the tomb? How can the dead be raised? That kind of thing, you know? So it looks like an insurmountable problem that's lying in front of them. And the stakes are really big. Because God has promised Israel the promised land. That's God's promise. It's your land. But standing between the promise, standing between the land, is this technologically advanced, militarily fierce army and their giant. Goliath, who is big and scary and loud and excessive, and he has spears and he wants to throw things at you that will hurt you. And so the options for Israel are fairly clear. You can either retreat and live in fear, go back to the caves, or you can engage, except it doesn't look like very good odds if you engage the, uh, the Philistine army. Now, the, the thing they have going on here is that the, the giant of the, uh, the Philistines is Goliath. And the way this works is um, each side would get their hero, and they would engage each other on the valley, and as it went for the hero, as it went for the, their, uh, the military uh, person, so it would go for everybody else. So you have Goliath on the one hand, who's the Philistine, nine foot tall, has armor on that's male chain, in other words, metal links, has a helmet on, seems insurmountable, seems invulnerable, how can he get past him? And somebody from Israel has to engage this giant who's big and fierce and loud. How can you do that? So it just seems insurmountable. Now, God has a plan. And we know that because we know the story. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. But if you're living in that moment, you don't know how that plan's going to unfold. It just seems tragic. I mean, how are you going to beat up Goliath? But God has a plan. And, and the way that God's plan is unfolding is, is God is unfolding his plan in kind of normal, quiet ways. Let me go back to the enemy. The enemy is unoriginal. The enemy always used the same kind of tactic. And so we have Goliath out there wanting to engage Israel. And the enemy always does this. He's big, he's loud, he shouts threats, he tries to puff himself up. Kind of like football players before the game, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, that's what Goliath is doing, you know, uh, shouting threats, has his javelin, has his spear, going to throw stuff at you, you're going to get hurt. Israel 
needs to know that God has a plan. But the plan is folding in quiet, unassuming, normal ways. So here's the plan. Jesse has three boys on the battlefront. Um, in order, the way it worked militarily in those days, in order for the armies to get fed, then the families back home had to bring food. So Jesse sends his boy, David. By the way, David is watching his father's sheep. Do you hear what that says? God is unfolding his plan and nobody even knows it. David has been preparing because David is watching the father's sheep. So David is sent by his father Jesse to the front line with some cheese and bread, give it to the captain so that everybody can get fed. David gets there, the plan unfolding in such normal, quiet ways. David gets there, now David is kind of, um, might even say arrogant, he's young, he's a little bit over-energetic, and he's like, why isn't anybody going down and beating the giant? I mean, anybody can do that, let's go, come on, let's go. And his brother's like, little boy, go home, come on, you're, you're just, you ever had that happen, that experience? Come on, little kid. And David's like, no, nah, we can beat him. God's on our side. You know, what are you doing? And, and so eventually, David puts on the armor, and, and we know where this goes. One of the principles we need to hear before we tell more of the story is this. Never, never, never engage the enemy on the enemy's own turf. Let me repeat that. Never engage the enemy on the enemy's own turf because that's what you want to do. And so you have Goliath out there, big, all that stuff I said, strong, loud, boastful, has his job. Don't try to out-cruel Goliath. Don't try to out-shout Goliath. Don't try to out-weapon uh, Goliath. Don't try to out-boast Goliath. It won't work because, frankly, the enemy, Goliath, is pretty good at that, and he has a history of success at that. Don't try to outdo Goliath. We have a whole different set of weapons at our disposal. And David seems to know that. And so David says, you know, you come with sticks and javelins, but I come in the name of the Lord. And so what happens? David picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch. By the way, before that, he puts on the armor and he can't move. So he does the normal thing that he always does. He picks up five smooth stones, from the stream, puts him in his little shepherd pouch, and he goes out in order to engage the enemy Goliath. Now, in the history of the church, back in uh, Gerhard Tustigan's time, spiritualizing these kinds of things was seen as kind of dangerous, but at the risk of spiritualizing the five smooth stones, I'm going to do that. And so we have an acronym of all things, and the acronym is STONE, S-T-O-N-E, five smooth stones. So each of those stones standing for one of the things that David has at his disposal, as, all, as we all do. So what are the five smooth stones that will defeat the enemy? Not on the enemy's turf. Don't try to outshout, outcruel, outmaneuver the enemy on his own turf. Number one, are you with me so far? Secret strength. Secret strength. Uh, Tierstigan's a great hymn. God himself is with us, let us all adore him, and with awe appear before him. God is with us. If you look at the New Testament reading, the wind and the waves are crashing in. It's the same thing as Goliath, big and loud and noisy and boastful. Could be very dangerous. Goliath could be very dangerous. But who's in the boat? Even if he's sleeping, Jesus is in the boat. God himself is with us. Christ is in the boat. And and David knows that. And so David, when he goes out to meet the enemy, meet the Philistine, meet Goliath, 
He says that pointedly. pointedly. You come with the javelin and sword, but I come in the name of the Lord. Secret strength. God is with us. The first stone in our little pouch. The second stone in our little pouch, tested trust. So secret strength, the first stone, tested trust. Let me go back to Gerhard Tierstegen. Tierstegen, as I said, lived in the 1700s. Uh, he came from a relatively affluent family. Uh, actually, it wasn't an affluent family. His father died when he was young, uh, and he was shipped off to be raised with his uncle, who happened to be a priest. Uh, Tierstegen's really goal in life was to live quietly, live as a hermit, actually, solitude, write poetry, translate, because he was a brilliant person. And, um, but he understood hardship. And so, for example, one of the hard things he experienced in his life was when his mother died, uh, the rest of his brothers didn't tell him because they didn't want him there at the reading of the will because they thought if Tirsten Gerhardt got any of the wealth from his family, he'd waste it by giving it to the poor and that kind of stuff. So he didn't even know his mother died at, at, the, at first until later on. So he understood hardship. Well early, in his, well, early in his 20s, he wrote a prayer. And his prayer, uh, at the time of uh, Tierstegen, it was, uh, became very popular. It's become hugely popular and uh, important in my life. And in fact, you've heard it because in my pastoral prayer, I kind of repeat it over and over again. Uh, and I repeat it every day, as did Tierstegen. And the prayer that Gerhardt would pray, he started it once, and then he prayed every day, is, is this. Lord, I give to you my heart and all of my love with everlasting joy. Have you heard me say that? I, I pray that a lot. Lord, I give to you my heart and all of my love, all of my love, with everlasting joy. Now, he prayed that every single day. Because Gerhard Tierstegen, like all Christians, understand that the enemy comes in little, little ways each day. And then sometimes he comes in big ways. But you fight the enemy daily. And so it's not a trust that is untested. It is a tested trust. So that when the enemy comes in a big way, you trust in the Lord but it's a trust that's been tested. I've seen this before. The enemy has attacked me in little ways, and I've overcome, so that when he comes in big ways, I've dealt with this before. It's a tested kind of trust. That's what David did. You see, when David faced Goliath, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, I've been here before. I've watched my father's sheep. And there's bears and lions and wolves and all kinds of nasty critters that want to come and eat the sheep. I have fought them and I have won. This is just a bigger, louder guy. I have been here, I can trust in the Lord, but I've tested that trust and it's worked. So the first stone that we have is secret strength. The second stone, tested trust. The third stone, ongoing obedience. Ongoing obedience. You see, this is not like a deathbed conversion. Like, I'll live my life as a reprobate, and then, you know, when I die, I'll give my life to the Lord. Now, let me back up. That, that happens, I'm sure. It's very dumb. It's very foolish. If you know the way of the Lord, then live the way of the Lord ongoingly, so that when those moments of trial come, you're ready for them. You've prepared. You know the strength of the Lord. 
Uh, Gene Patterson, Eugene Patterson, many of you know that name because he wrote, uh, translated the New Testament into the message, but he has a lot of books. And one of his books, just the title of the book I just love, it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Isn't that a great title? That's what we're talking about. A long obedience in the same direction. Ongoing obedience. So the first stone, secret strength. Second, tested trust. Third, ongoing obedience. Fourth, maybe this is pushing the acronym, but this is my favorite one. Normal nimbleness. <laughs> Normal nimbleness. Let me explain that. It's obvious. Uh, Goliath, the enemy, by the way, is never nimble. He's just like, you know, throw things at you, hurt you, that kind of thing. David's nimble, you know? He's free in the spirit. He can move around. And how does David defeat the enemy? In the normal ways that he's always defeated the enemy. He's always used a sling. He's always thrown that at the, at the wolves or the bears or whatever come by. It's just the normal stuff. So that when these big challenges, these big loud enemies come in our life, just the normal stuff, prayer, faith, love, that kind of stuff. We already got the tools. And, and so that kind of normal, spirit-filled nimbleness is what defeats the big enemy and those little enemies, those little tiny Goliaths that come to us every day. So secret strength, tested trust, ongoing obedience, normal nimbleness, I need an E. Extraordinary extras. <laughs> Extraordinary extras. I've heard it said, uh, I think very foolishly, that if David really had faith, he would only put one pebble in his, one rock in his pouch uh, because he didn't need four extras because if he really had faith, he'd only need one. That's just dumb. That's foolish. The point is, he had more than enough. He only needed one, but he had lots extras. And that's what the whole Bible tells us. St. Paul says that over and over again. We have an exceeding abundance in, in terms of faith, in terms of gift, in terms of God's power with us, we are more than conquerors through him who has proven his love for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We got a whole pouch full of, of strength and gifts if we submit our hearts to God. If we open our lives, I give to you my heart and all of my love, you got more than enough. Yeah, it hurts sometimes, and yeah, the enemy is really scary sometimes, and those javelins can really hurt, but we got a whole pouch full. We got a whole spirit full, a whole life full of gifts that the Lord gives us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. As uh, St. Martin Luther said, one little word will fell him. And that one little word is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that even though the giants are big and scary sometimes, and they really do have pointed spears that really hurt. And we've been wounded. We've been wounded. And yet there is a stillness and a calm and a peace and a normalness and a quiet and prayer and faith and patience that come from you. And in your strength, we are more than victors. For you have shown your love for us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.